And I think that's the moment that you realize it was worth it. Welcome to Military Business School Advocates, where service members and veterans discuss the personal and professional benefits of an MBA. I'm your host, Pat O'Brien. And today we speak with Gage Andis concerning his transition from NSA to MBA at NYU Stern. Hey, everybody. I'm Gage Andis. I'm a second year MBA student at NYU Stern in New York. I am specializing in leadership and change management, as well as entrepreneurship and innovation. I worked over the summer at Strategy and as a consultant intern. I've spent about eight, nine months working for a cannabis startup that came from California and is trying to make a move into the New York market. Previously, I was a Chinese linguist in the Air Force. I spent about three and a half years working at the NSA in Hawaii as a mission manager of two different departments, mostly working for, for the Navy. Decided to get out, did some counterintelligence work for the Army, and then that's pretty much how I've ended up here. I take it you went to language school in California, right? Uh, yeah, I spent, what, a year and a half in Monterey at the at DLI, at the Defense Language Institute. That's the school that teaches all services, all languages. You have a good time out there? Incredible time. Incredible time to be like 20 as well and be out there and just kind of party it up. Turn 21 out there on the beach in Monterey. I don't remember any part of that night. Oh, wow. But I know I had a good ass time. <laughs> Oh, thank you for your service, you uh, poor man. Oh, I know. I had it really hard. Oh, gosh. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Okay, Gage. How and when did you first learn about the benefits of completing an MBA? Good question. Yeah, I would say I would say a couple of things happened to get me thinking about that, that piece of something more, right? I, I got out of the military in 2018, pivoted slightly into a contracting role with the Army, right? Uh, moved out to Maryland. Spent about two and a half years working at Fort Meade for uh, the 902nd Counterintelligence Unit. I About halfway through that stint, I started thinking, like, I, I really did a look around the room. That's what it was. And I saw my peers. I saw who I would be in 30, 35 years. And I was like, man, I do not want to end up here. <laughs> and I don't really know what I was doing. You know, I, I had the idea of getting out of the military right. and going and finishing my undergrad. And I, I pretty much did that very soon because of all the credits that I had. And so I was left with this kind of emptiness of what next. And it was a catalyst, honestly, to to want to do something more than just work a job and kind of check out. OK, I found consulting. That's that's how it started was I, I knew that I wanted to pivot into an industry that both benefited from the skills that I had learned previously, but then also added and built on top of that already laid foundation. I think consulting is very analogous to a lot of the skills that military members, especially intelligence members, mm -hmm. already learn. Right. And so I thought that would be a pretty natural pivot and then I understood that I needed an MBA in the middle to basically complete that process. And so I did a lot of research, a lot of homework, figuring out what that process actually entails. Um, and that's when really when I I think that's when I discovered the benefit of the MBA program was the pivot that it can provide. You know, it's one thing to say, I want to get out of the military and I want to do something big. Right. That's great. I think more people should have dreams like that. 
it's it's putting your nose to the grindstone and actually making a plan and figuring out how to do that. Okay, so once you realized that pursuing an MBA was the right choice for you, what were some of the initial challenges that you faced preparing for your transition? So I uh, am part of the class of uh, 2023, right? The graduation class of 2023. I was supposed to be the graduation, part of the graduation class of Georgetown in 2022. Okay. Um, As we all know, COVID hit and just kind of rocked the world. Right. I ultimately decided to apply to business school in uh, starting in 2020. And so I had done a lot of the, um, the, the homework, the research, uh, the testing, the application building in 2019 to prep for that. I think my biggest downfall was I leaned actually too much on my military background and kind of overvalued it. Mm. I I leaned on it a little too much. I thought it would carry my applications further than it did. Mm -hmm. I walked in with a a modest GMAT score, a 670, um, and then applied to a smorgasbord of different schools, got into Georgetown, interviewed, and ultimately denied at Yale, and then uh, denied at Northwestern. And so I took Georgetown. Um, Like I said, I, 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 uh, I interviewed, I got the, the spots, and as springtime came around, I thought I could do better. And, you know, it was a gut check moment to say no to Georgetown's MBA program and bet on myself in hopes that, one, I could do better, and two, I could get into a more prestigious school, to be honest. The whole reason for that was to increase my chances of getting a higher-end consulting position. And so, again, because that was the goal for the pivot, I think it made sense to me. But it, it, it's a real moment to, to turn something like that down. Right. You know, I, I ended up starting over from scratch my entire application process. I ended up retaking the GMAT twice. I uh, just had to work through some personal things as well and ultimately was successful. You know, I, I think um, I think you're already betting on yourself by getting out of the military. So really maybe we're kind of used to that in a sense a volatile transitory period i think is pretty well known to military members who have gotten out already so i would say you know even through the ups and downs that is the application process just keep your head up high because you've been through this before absolutely and i'm sure any service members listening now can relate to that and for those that are wondering the graduate management admission test is a computer adaptive test intended to assess writing, analytical, quantitative, verbal, and reading skills for admission into graduate level programs. Engage, you mentioned that you retook the GMAT twice. Can you tell us about that? So I'd like to give a shout out to a program called Target Test Prep. They are an online, uh, basically mentoring company that has a full program for the GMAT, um, both the quant side and the verbal side. I went from a 670 to a 740 because I completed their program. Oh, wow. That opens a lot of doors. Uh, yeah, it absolutely did. Um, going from a 670 to a 740 opens a lot more doors than, uh, than it closes. And uh, what did you do with your new score? Going back to the application process that I did in 2020, right? I applied to three schools, um, basically in three different tiers, if you want to think about it like that, right? Um when I, I, I approached the application process in 2021 differently, 
because I, I kind of understood the ranking system. I understood the tiers a little bit better. I understood the importance of having safety schools just in case. And so I ended up applying to, I think it was nine schools in total, which is a lot. Uh, don't recommend. Harvard, MIT, Yale. Again, Yale's where I wanted to go. Let's see. USC, UCLA. I kept Georgetown in my back pocket and NYU. And I think I'm forget. Oh, and London Business School. I had a real broad uh, <laughs> spectrum of schools that I applied to. Uh, let's see. How did the process go? I... Uh, interviewed with USC and UCLA first, um, got into both. And then that was in round one in round two, round one and a half, I think it is because NYU's, uh, interviews are staggered differently than almost all the other schools. I interviewed with NYU after USC and UCLA, uh, and got in. And then I actually almost didn't pay the deposit. Uh, because I, I, out of those schools, I knew that I was going to go to NYU, uh, but they needed the deposit money before I was going to know whether I got into the other schools that I had applied to. And I actually went 0 for 5. And so uh, luckily enough, I did pay the deposit and kept my seat at NYU. Otherwise, I would have been completely fucked. So <laughs> that's that's the that's pretty much how that went. OK. And why did you end up going with NYU? Uh, I ended up choosing NYU because they gave, they wanted me, honestly. Um, that's That's been kind of a theme throughout the last couple of years is I've gone in the direction of who values me. They came back and offered me a, uh, just candidly, a Dean's scholarship with a full ride. Uh, how do you say no to that? Okay, boom. Boom. You're at NYU. What were your expectations prior to joining the program and after being there a year? Were they accurate? Interesting question. My sole expectations were that I wanted to pivot and that I wanted to meet people that were different than I had met before. I successfully pivoted and the people I've met here are incredible. I mean, absolutely the smartest, kindest people that I've ever met. I think as far as my expectations for a little bit broader, right? Like the school, the program itself, academically, this is what you make of it. There's a, there's a saying that goes, uh, in business school, you can, um, you can be academically focused, you can be relationship focused and you can be job focused. All right, pick two. Mm. And so uh, it, it's pretty common. I would probably estimate 70% of students go with, you know, job and relationships and the academics get thrown by the wayside. Okay. I didn't realize what extent that happens. There's grade non-disclosure. It's, almost impossible to get below a B. It's if you're here to like for academic rigor, I think the MBA is kind of not geared towards that. However, you can absolutely make the program as difficult as you want, because I've kind of been focused not on academics and more so on building a network. I've kept it pretty simple, but I, I actually have a pretty close friend that's done corporate finance governance. There's a risk class that I'm, like is heavy on um, algorithm computing for different levels of like cybersecurity risk. There's so what I'm saying is like you can definitely make it um, as as difficult as you can. I thought that it would have been more difficult, but it's it's designed to get you a job and it's designed to build a network, which were my expectations and and it's met that. Are you still using the GI Bill in addition to whatever grants or loans that you received? 
Sure. Um, I asked, you know, how that works. Uh, you can't double up on it, but I still decided to take it out. One, because I don't know if I'm ever going to have another chance to use it. I don't know if I would go back to school after the MBA. Um, and two, I can still pull the BAH from it. And that's kind of been a lifesaver in, you know, the market that is New York City. And so, uh, yeah, I still taken out the GI Bill for that reason. And what's BAH out there? Uh, 30. It just went up. 33 and change. Can I ask what you pay for rent? I pay 2500 for a studio loft apartment about a 20-minute walk away from campus. So definitely give and take on the size versus the location. It's not bad. It's really not. It's, you know, it's it's the it's the trips. It's the you going out to the bar on Friday and Saturday night, you know, every other week that it kind of adds up. The rent's kind of baked in, in my opinion, but the the actual cost of living comes from all the things that there are to do in a city like New York. Right, right. I mean, most people that come to the MBA program are going to have to take out student loans to afford the cost. Now, we're fortunate that we have, in many cases, the GI Bill to lean on. Again, it's an investment into yourself. So I understand when you're looking at the tuition bill of, you know, 42 grand every semester, that's a gut check. Mm-hmm. I'll just be candid. Like, it's public information. The... Salary for a strategy and consultant uh, in their first year after graduation is 190 and a 30k bonus. So you're going to be able to pay this back, right? In depending on how tightly you budget it, a couple of years for an astronomical increase in your potential income for the rest of your life. Right, right. Yeah, I, I love what you said about investing in yourself and taking that leap. And a lot of service members listening are not taking this leap alone. They have families. So what should we all expect transitioning from the military life to an MBA? You know, I would I would consider the impact that it has on your relationships moving into a program and ge- geographically moving, something like that. We're all pretty used to moving around, so I don't think that's too much of a burden at this point. Most of the men and women that are going to be listening to this are probably mid-20s getting ready to actually pursue something in their career. And so by that time, I think we're pretty, you know, open to the idea of, of moving around, of taking a bit of risk, of betting on yourself. I, as far as quirks go, I, I think it was actually like a fairly straightforward process. I mean, I'm a fairly risky person just generally. It's an investment and an and investment, you know, comes with a, a certain amount of risk. It is risky to, to walk away from a six figure job, a comfortable, you know, uh, personal life um, surrounded by your friends. To pursue something that you think can bump you up. You know, sometimes I miss the life I had. I've, I've had days where I think, you know, fuck this shit. I should have just, you know, stayed in the military. It's um, you have to just kind of lean on yourself and the people around you to, to, to stay the course. I've honest to God have thoughts like maybe this wasn't the right move for me uh, recently. It's being in basic and waiting for uh, for, the, for the next child. Right. You just you, you keep ahead. You keep your mouth shut. You just stay the course. And you you get through it. And then at the end of the day, you look behind you and you're like, oh, shit, I did all this. It, it actually happened. And I made this happen. And I think that's the moment that you realize it was worth it. I couldn't help but think to myself, I'm definitely going to use sound clips from what he just said at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> it's going to need some editing, but yeah, OK. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Did you receive any mentorship or assistance as you prepared to apply for business schools? 
Yes, I have a mentor and a good friend uh, from my Air Force days at the NSA. Uh, my buddy LJ, he still lives out in Hawaii. Yeah, I met him. He was one of my first supervisors and we just clicked, man. I don't know what it was, but even, you know, almost 10 years later, uh, we're as close as ever. I, I asked him to write uh, one of the uh, recommendation letters that I sent out. Most schools require two. And so he wrote one of them uh, for all the programs. Next to him, I had uh, a retired uh, warrant officer that I worked for at uh, the 902nd when I was in Maryland. Okay. She was uh, one of the most intense hard asses I've ever met at, you know, 65, still grinding people into the dirt. Oh, boy. And yet so sweet. <laughs> just so caring about her team that she would go to the ends of the earth for you. All you had to do was show up and do your job and she would bend over backwards. She she made me a better analyst and honestly a better person. I, I think more critically because of what she's, she's taught me. And so I, I ended up asking her to write the other one of those recommendation letters. And I actually, I got to read it and it, it was incredible. She's a gifted writer. She, uh, she, she really just, just helped me along the way. She actually went to NYU with her daughter as well. So I think there was, you know, kind of a, it was just like a, it was romanticized and dramatic a little bit that that's where I ended up going. And she, um, she was bummed when I left, but you know, that's, that's part of what I think being a good mentor is, is realizing the potential in your subordinates, in the people that you lead on your team and, and, and helping them get to somewhere more significant than where they're at now. And that's good that you had someone like that in your life. I think for everyone else, it is important to identify mentors and leaders who know your work experience well, uh, because they are going to be the ones writing your recommendation letter. Gage, do you currently serve in a mentorship role yourself? I have people that are first years that, you know, I've helped teach them how to case, prep them for interviews give them a rundown of different consulting firms, connected them to other students that could answer their questions better than I could if it was something that I didn't know the answer to. I had somebody reach out to me, I think via email, actually. He, he hit me up. I'm not even sure where he got it. He's a junior in the undergrad program, but he was doing consulting interviews and just reached out to me because he was also interested in the uh, in cannabis business. And I'm the president of cannabis of the cannabis business club at Stern. He hit me up and was like, hey, you know, I, I've I've worked in a cannabis startup for X amount of time, but I'm recruiting for uh, for MBB for for McKinsey, Bain and BCG, which are basically the top three consulting firms. And so he knew that I had kind of the same background. So we started talking just you know, he wanted a, a bit of my perspective. And so I gave it to him. And then I offered at the end of our 30 minute Zoom call to, to case him. And so we cased probably three or four times and he ended up getting an internship at Bain. So I would say like all in all, that's probably the best mentorship story I've had since I've been here. That's there's so many opportunities to give back like that in thing in ways that you know, it, it was 30 minutes to me, but it's an internship for him. And so it's it's an interesting position to be in to not only understand the process now having gone through it, but having the ability to help people honestly get to better positions than I myself did. And I, I that's so much more valuable than anything to me, honestly. 
there's very little that is more rewarding than helping someone out. It is rewarding. Let's move to your internship and recruitment process. Yeah. What was that like? If you think GMAT studying is a slog. Oh, boy. Get ready. <laughs> Here we go. Because this shit's about to get heavy. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Consulting recruiting starts basically when you walk in the door. Um, we had orientation week. And then two weeks later, I was in the Management Consulting Association Club to basically in consulting boot camp, preparing how to case. The pipeline is essentially from uh, mid-September through January. And what it looks like is at the very beginning, you start with your school's consulting club. They will put you in kind of a boot camp where you start to learn how a consulting case interview looks how to go through it. They will give you an overview and then you will practice specific steps along the way. Then we got integrated into different groups of say five to six first years with a second year that had a, that has signed with a consulting firm. And what they do is they basically just, you have these little groups that um, you practice casing in. So you'll go through that for a couple of months, probably throughout December or so practicing cases with that group. About early to mid-October, you'll start having events with different firms so that you can start to build a network. And that can look anything like anything from a small group based on, you know, like uh, affinity groups, like there's vets events, um, there's uh, LGBTQ plus events, um, stuff like that, just to give like a, a sense of community in a smaller group. There will also be um, firm led dinners like uh open to anybody that wants to apply uh, i remember i went to uh there was like a, a really nice bar up in midtown that hosted everybody that wanted to uh apply to um ey parthenon and so uh really what these are what these events are for is to start to meet people in the firms connect with them build relationships so that honestly when they come to the table and they're selecting who they want to have intern at their company. Somebody drops your name. That's the entire point of these uh, events. They're also for you to get an understanding of what the values are of each firm and see if you connect yourself. But really it's, it's, you know, it's to see if they can remember your name. Um, that lasts probably until, yeah, like I said, uh, late November, early December. And then from then on, it's pretty much all case prep and all interview prep. I pretty much had a handful of people that I would give a case to and they would case me. I probably did 50 cases throughout the whole process. Most of the interviews happened throughout January. So you'll apply mid-December and then after a week or two, uh, you'll be informed of who actually, what firms are bringing you in to interview. And you'll interview throughout January um, and then the turnaround time from knowing if you got selected to intern is only it should only be a couple of days. Um, but that's pretty much a quick and dirty of the process. What made you go with strategy and for your internship? I chose them uh, over a couple of other firms, honestly, because they called me back in two hours after my last interview. Yeah. So remember when I mentioned there's a theme of going where people want me, like NYU, mm -hmm. same thing happened with strategy and okay. uh, the package, um, the, the, the salary over the summer 
was essentially the same as the the full time. So I think it was something like 14 grand a month, which is not bad. And then nope. we got sent to San Diego at the end of it for a couple of days on the company's dime. So can't beat that. Oh, yeah. I was just out there for a buddy's wedding. Oh, it's beautiful. Gorgeous. Are you active in any clubs or groups at NYU? I participated in mostly in the cannabis club, actually. So I've plugged that a couple of times over the, the course of this, uh, this podcast, but, um, that kind of came in from wanting to, from my second goal of meeting different people. Right. I, I wanted to do something completely different, completely out of the blue. And, you know, cannabis was foreign as, you know, a prior military member. So I was like, all right, let's do this. Let's, let's go crazy. I, um, I was pretty active in the club throughout my first year. We did a couple of different things. Uh, we had a, a woman-owned uh, cannabis startup come and give a presentation uh, basically about their products, about their trials going through, you know, creating a startup as, as women in this industry. I met Steve D'Angelo, uh, one of the like heads of um, really the legalization of cannabis over the last 20, 30 years. We did a edible cookie-making class um, at a place that uh, sells like different pastries here in the city. That was cool. Um, and then, yeah, I got connected with, uh, the, um, the startup that I ended up interning for, for, for about nine months through the club. So I haven't had a lot of breadth in the clubs that I participated in, but I did go very deep into cannabis business. And I, 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 that's kind of my MO is to just kind of not necessarily tunnel vision, but just a lot of focus into one area. I wanted to understand it. I wanted to learn if it was something that I wanted to do. And um, the club gave me every chance to figure that out. And I and I really like that. There's clubs for everything. There's a club called IMSA that's uh, basically like entertainment. Um, it's the same thing. People have gone into that club uh, not really knowing what it was about, figuring it out, getting connected in the industry. Uh, I have a buddy that that uh, actually another Air Force guy that um, is involved who interned at um, EA Sports over the summer because he got lucky, honestly. But like that's just so cool, right? Like you can do anything here if you if you find the right network and the right people to talk to about it. Somebody has done it before. Somebody's walked the walk, or they know how to get you on the path. And so that's really the benefit that the clubs have, in my opinion. And that is an incredible idea to someone that is serving in a rigid, slow-moving organization like the military, right? Having the chance to explore something that is so foreign from what we're used to. No, the military hasn't come around to the idea of cannabis use. It'll, it'll be a long time before that happens. <laughs> uh, but there are parts of America that are moving on. And I think it's fascinating that NYU has a club like this. And I think, you know, on the topic of, of the rigidity of the military, I approached my applications as I'm going consulting and that's it, right? And I think that our mindset as military members lends us to this ideal that we have to follow the path that we've already set. I would suggest to anybody else listening to this podcast to, to let go a little bit. But I would just say, you know, get out there and experience something different. My my guy that interned at EA Sports knew that he wanted to do entertainment, but was more focused on like 
strategy, like internal consulting within an entertainment industry, not actually like participating in the the business development of like EA Sports. Or I, I got another person that came in to do consulting that ended up interning at PlayStation. Like, let go a little bit. Let just let what is going to happen, happen, experience different things, get out there, learn something new and, and, and see what happens. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do at MBSA, spread awareness in order to help service members make this decision. Sure, sure. Yeah. You mentioned that you had a buddy that was prior Air Force as well. I wonder about the rest of your class. What does it look like? NYU has a pretty diverse um, international uh, student body, portion of the student body. Um, as far as, you know, the what we've seen domestic, it's a lot of prior consultants, a lot of healthcare, actually. And then you have a smorgasbord of random people. We have an NBA player in my uh, Endless Frontier class. Um, we have a prior actor. Honestly, it's just kind of a, a smattering of different individuals once you get past the uh, the consulting and the banking folks. Which is ironic because 66% of the class ends up recruiting for consulting and banking. So not a lot of people pivot, but, you know, it, it is what it is. As far as the military demographic, I think we have 25 in our class and about 22 in the year before me. Okay, out of how many? It's like 300, three or 400 or something like that. The class is a huge. Uh, I think I am the only enlisted. Uh, there might be one or two others throughout mine and the other class. Uh, but... It's heavily focused on uh, logistics officers. We don't have a lot of combat guys. There's a handful of pilots. There's a handful of infantry officers, but I would say there's a, a good amount of like logistics and intel. Good people. They're incredible. Like they're, there's, if I, I wish I had known them in the military and I might not have gotten out to be honest. <laughs> okay. Right on. Did you travel at all in your first year? Uh, we went to Punta Cana for spring break. It ended up being 160 of us. It was about half the class that went. It was insane. We went for five days, I think it was, and literally just spent time on the water. Such a good time. And then I uh, went with a small contingent to Munich, actually, uh, a few months ago for Oktoberfest. Oh, I love Munich. Oh, my God, man. That was one of the best trips I've ever taken. Man, we, uh, we flew out of here. At like 4.30 on a Wednesday, and I got to Munich at like 7 a.m. on one hour of sleep. I got another hour of sleep in the hotel, in our little hostel. And then by noon, man, we were out there with a fucking pint and just going ham. It was a vibe. <laughs> did you have the leader hosting and everything? You're damn right I did. Everybody buys in. I had no idea. Like, you asked me if I was in the leader hosing. Everybody's in the leader hosing. Like, you're an outcast if you actually don't buy in. And I really like that. Oh, I can't wait to go back. All right. Gage, what would you tell service members or veterans who are on the fence about pursuing an MBA right now? Go for it. The only person that's going to hold you back is you. There's literally nothing stopping you from putting an application out, especially because as a vet, it costs you nothing to apply. Put yourself out there. That's a good question because I think it ties everything together, right? Because I said, you know, even when I got out of the military, I wasn't focused. I, I knew that I wanted to finish my undergrad, but I didn't really have a sense of purpose. You know, that's kind of the whole point of this podcast. That's why we're reaching out and finding people and, and trying to get this 
this whole pipeline, this program out there is because it can happen. And there are spots for our demographic to get out there and make it happen. These schools want vets. Vets have an already developed sense of leadership and management, in my experience, that the peers in, in these schools don't have. You know, it's it's really interesting walking into different events and some of the questions will be geared towards, you know, I've never led a team. I don't have any management experience. How can I like begin to develop that? And it, I, I just sit there, you know, kind of quietly thinking like, wow, a lot of our peers really don't have that experience. That is so incredibly valuable. Don't lose that. Use that as a tool to get you in the door. Build a network. Just get out there, go have a beer with somebody, whether it's, you know, in a group setting and you're going out on a Friday night or you're catching somebody after class for for a 10 minute and a single beer. Like if you're going to make the investment in yourself, think about it like that. Like, like remember when I said, like um, when I was helping the, the guy with the Bain interviews, it was 30 minutes to me, but now it's probably, you know, a life changing moment for him. You can have that effect on people and not know but then have that come around to a benefit for you sometime in the future. Like a good deed that you've done or like catching a beer with somebody like may pay dividends down the road. And so I would say, you know, keep an open mind. Don't really find a click. Just be open to the people that you're that you want to hang out with, that you want to spend time with, but still go out and meet new people. Like that's the whole point is to really build a broad network and not just focus on, you know, the vets or people in cannabis business or consultants. Like really you have this chance to meet people that are going to be business leaders in two decades. Imagine, you know, you're looking for a job down the road and you can hit up somebody that owns their own company and walk right in. Like that's that 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 network will only pay dividends similar to the actual, you know, name stamp of blank MBA program on your resume. Absolutely. And it's always fascinating to me how simple the concept is, but how few people make deliberate efforts to build a strong network. Absolutely. Who who remembers you? Who brings your name up? It's weird, right? You have to let go. You have to trust people around you. And that's, that's interesting when it's not as hierarchical as the military. I, I think that's a key part of it is it's less I'm telling you to do this or you're telling me to do this and either you have to listen or I have to listen. And now you're you're banking on peers, on friends. Hey, can you help me out with this? Hey, can you do this for me? Hey, can I do this for you? It's it's more I think it can be more transactional in some ways. And I think that's kind of what trips people up. It, it trips me up sometimes in thinking like, OK, am I actually like trying to network with this person and from like a a friendship standpoint, or do I just want something out of them? And I think once you learn that you can be friends, like you can actually just get to know somebody and have that, like be considered networking, you can kind of let go of the like beginning transaction phase that it feels like. I couldn't agree more. It's just how the world works. Can you tell us a little bit about any personal business projects or nonprofit groups that you are a part of now? Sure. So I am going all in on cannabis in New York City. I am launching a company called Idama. It's essentially designed to be a cannabis platform. 
It's going to centralize all of the products, dispensaries, and brands within New York City and offer a hub for cannabis consumers to choose what they want, see reviews on different products, understand what's good, what's not, uh, what feelings or like what kind of high it gets you. Um, it's designed to be a essentially like a two-sided network. Uh, that's the project that I actually ended up working on over the summer at Strategy Hand. And so I'd like to just put that into play and see where it goes, honestly. Uh, I, right now, we're at the stage of developing like the web development. Um, I have partnerships with a few dispensaries already trying to work out the payment system. I have a team that uh, I think can do delivery, which is going to be a big boost to this as well. Uh, really, it's a low investment, high reward opportunity given the state of the market. And I figure, you know, with the bumpers up, I'm not risking any income because I'm still in school. I'm in New York still. So why not? So yeah, uh, anybody listening, if you're if you're in New York, wait for the Aizama launch early next year. Uh, it's going to be up and running probably in late February, early March, but it's coming. Well, hey, we can't wait, and we'll keep a lookout for the launch of Aizama. Okay, I mentioned earlier that I have a secret question. Yeah, the wild card, right? A wild card question, and it's in reference to our mutual love of The Office. If you were to choose a character... From the office, who would you most assimilate with? Meredith. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we got to dig at this one. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I will take no questions. Uh, (laughs) No, come on. No, I think... um... I think uh, I think I like her quote at the very end of the show the best, right? When when she mentions that you know everyone saw her as as this this drunk and and party girl just out here living her best life, but she was there in the background getting her PhD the whole time, but they never showed that. And I think um, I, I kind of you know I, I I like the way that she lives in that respect. I like showing them the right hand and the keeping the left in my pocket, doing whatever it needs to be doing. I'm a fun-loving guy. Like I, I present myself in a certain, um, I guess, a certain light. But I like keeping a lot of things behind the scenes, and so I, I, I really like Meredith's perspective and just openness on that. Really, um, can't hurt to you know collect those uh, Outback tickets once a week either. So <laughs> I wasn't gonna say anything, but yeah, that's a that's a perk of being Meredith. What about you? I want to know yours. You know, I'd hate to admit it, but I'm just a Michael Scott. I'm just a happy idiot, just bumping into (laughs) success and failure. And I'm a sucker for Filet-O-Fish sandwiches. Um, But I have my moments, right? And um, it all works out. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's wrap this up with our final thoughts. What do you want people to know about you and how can they get a hold of you? I'm a straight shooter. So if you want a no bullshit response, if you have questions about the process, about programs, about different schools, different firms, people, I'll give you a no bullshit answer. Um, I'm pretty known for that here. I think it does me well. I I, I think uh, everybody has a certain brand, right? It's important to brand yourself a little bit. I guess, yeah, LinkedIn is probably the easiest place to probably find me. And I'm pretty responsive. I'm on my computer probably 90% of the day anyway. So, you know, it comes with being in this program and trying to, you know, create a startup. Well, there you have it. 
We'll include Gage's information inside the show notes for those that have more questions concerning his MBA journey or the launch of Idama. Gage, it was a pleasure speaking with you today. Same, man. This was a good time. I can't wait to follow up with you later about your time in New York. Until then, take care. Sounds good, man. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider helping us grow by sharing this podcast and joining us on social media. If you or someone you know would like to become a guest on our show, please see our show notes for ways to contact us. Thank you. 